And uh, we'll be talking a little bit about that generation and um, uh, another generation, those of us who are not so young anymore. And uh, I just had a birthday, and I said it's going to be the last one uh, that I acknowledge for a while, I think. And so um, what does the Bible say about aging? We'll see that a little bit in Ecclesiastes. There's certainly some other passages that touch on it, but as we kind of wrap up our look at Ecclesiastes, and then next week we'll pull together some things we learned from Proverbs and Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes. We'll pull that all together and wrap up the series. But go ahead and find your place and your, open your Bible to Ecclesiastes uh, chapters 11 and 12, and we'll be just at the end of chapter 11, and then we'll get into chapter 12. Thank you for standing as we open God's Word together. And look at this subject, momentous discoveries about this momentary life. And the older we get, the more momentary we realize that it is. It is certainly fleeting. You found your place there. We'll just look at uh, the last two verses of chapter 11, the first two of chapter 12 to begin with, and then we'll later see how that spills over into the context of the, the rest of chapter 12. But it says, in verse 9 of chapter 11, rejoice, young man, while you are young, and let your heart be glad in the days of your youth. And walk in the ways of your heart and in the sights of your eyes. But know that for all of these things, God will bring you to judgment. Remove sorrow from your heart and put away pain from your flesh because youth and the prime of life are fleeting. And everyone over 40 said, amen. (laughs) So remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of adversity come, the years approach when you will say, I have no delight in them, before the sun and the light are dark and the moon and the stars and the clouds return after the rain. Father, we need your help not only understanding what Solomon was writing and picking up perhaps on some of his sarcasm and cynicism and his reflections even on life without God and our need from the gospel, so may we not only understand it this morning, but may it lead us to make decisions that will impact not only our life, but the lives of those around us for eternity. Father, help us to have eyes to see this world from your perspective as much as we possibly can. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I read about a pastor who went to visit uh, an older couple in the church, and he wanted to get to know them well and introduce himself. He was new in the church, and he went, and he was just blown away at how sweet this elderly couple was. And and especially this older man, he found himself thinking, if I could only uh, speak to my wife with so many sweet, kind words of endearment, because every time he turned around, this older gentleman was looking at his wife and saying, sugar and honey and sweetheart, and baby love, and every term of endearment. He just had all these beautiful, sweet, romantic nicknames for his wife, and this young pastor is thinking, man, I, I sure hope that I speak to my wife with words like that when, when I'm an older man. And, and so finally his wife had walked out of the room into the kitchen to get him something to drink, and he said, thank you, sweetheart, you're so wonderful. 
And, and so this pastor looked and he said, I just admire the way that you have all of these wonderful, beautiful terms of endearment that you still use at your age for your wife. And the older man looked at this young pastor and he said, Pastor, for the life of me, I can't remember her name. <laughs> I won't ask you if you've been there this morning. We get older. And uh, as a friend of mine once said, there are a couple of things that will leave you as you get older. One is your memory. And for the life of me, I can't remember what the other one was. Life is short. Job chapter 14 and verse 1 says, life is few of days and full of trouble. And you need to know a few things. I think Solomon would tell us here in Ecclesiastes, you need to know a few things if you're going to make sense of it all, if it's going to be worthwhile in the end. And we'll see the gospel impact on all of this as we conclude today. But we don't only want to make the most of it. We don't want to get to the places he would write cynically in Ecclesiastes, you know, yeah, just do what you can, enjoy what you can, make the most of it. We want to make it count for eternity. We want to make an eternal difference. And when we live with a gospel-centered life, with eternity in mind, it not only shapes life as we know it and the people around us, the relationships that we have, and it not only impacts this world with eternity, it also impacts eternity from this world. Because the decisions we make, as short as life is, those momentous decision, decisions that we make in this momentary life affects our eternity. Revelation twenty two twelve concludes, Behold, Jesus says, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to everyone according to his deeds. In other words, all of eternity, when Jesus returns one day, all of eternity for you will hinge on the fact of what you did with this vapor we call life, this short period of time. You make decisions that totally impact everything you will do for all of eternity and how you will spend that eternity. Even if you know that you know that you know that you're born again, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and heaven bound, there are certainly degrees of reward and your eternity is still being shaped by the decisions you make in this life. And so we have eternity making an impact on this life with the gospel and we have this life making an impact on eternity with what we do with that. And so I want us to think of Three momentous discoveries, using the word momentous here, it has to do with that which leads to decisions of great significance, especially concerning one's future, the future this side of heaven and the future in heaven one day. And so the first discovery, based on some of the verses we looked at at the conclusion of chapter 11 here, these two verses the first discovery I want to call your attention to is the problem of the human heart. And, and so it's hard to pick up sometimes except for the fact that we've been looking at Ecclesiastes for some time now, and we, we sometimes see Solomon's cynicism, and we see his sarcasm, and him saying this is kind of a perspective of life without God. If we, if we leave God out of the equation, then we're in trouble. And so he says, rejoice while you're young. Just go ahead. You better have fun now because it's not going to last forever. Again, saying this in his cynicism, saying this in his sarcasm, he's saying, let your heart be glad. Walk in the ways of your heart. Go ahead. Now, we've already seen that there's a danger in following our heart, right? Because Jeremiah, 
And 17 and verse 9 says, the heart is deceitful, it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? We're going to get in trouble, but he's saying, you, you just go ahead here. And in the sights of your eyes, just go ahead and, and, and go after what you see, what you desire. But know this, understand something, if you live life your own way, following after your own heart's desires, doing what you want to do, making the most of a moment, one day you're going to stand before God who will bring all things to judgment. Yeah, remove sorrow from your heart, put away pain from your flesh. Youth and the prime of life are fleeting, but there's a problem here, and it's the problem of the human heart. If you leave God out of the equation and follow your heart, one day you're going to dangerously stand before God as judge. And many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? And he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. If there's no God, though, then, yeah, just if you leave the gospel and you leave God out of the equation, just go ahead and eat, drink, and be merry. Take care of yourself. Do what you want to do. Go after what you desire to do. I heard one evangelist say that he pulled up behind a car one time, and I don't know if this story is is true or not. He told it if it, it was true, and I have no reason to doubt him, but he said he pulled up behind a car, and they had a bumper sticker that said, if it feels good, do it. And so he stepped on the gas and rear ended the guy. And when the guy got out of the car and started to fuss him out, he said, well, hey, I'm sorry. Your bumper sticker said if it feels good to do it, and it felt good to round that bumper sticker. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 2 says it's kind of hard making these decisions. It says a wise man's heart goes to the right, but a fool's heart goes to the left. He's saying the best we know how to do the right hand Usually represented that which was clever, skillful, decisive. For all of you right-headed people, it should make you feel good, right? Uh, that which was clever and, and decisive and purposeful. And the left hand r- spoke of the casual and undisciplined side of life, the life is a party kind of perspective. And he says, you do your best to make a decision and do the right thing, but God will also bring these things into judgment one day. Our decisions, every decision that we make in this life will one day be judged by God. And so we have to understand that there's a problem of the human heart in all of this process. And we we find ourselves denying that problem. We want to say that, well, humanity is basically good. And if you've turned on the news lately, it doesn't look like humanity is getting better, folks. Humanity is not basically good. We do not have an innate goodness. We are born sinners by nature, and we are sinners by choice in need of that mercy that we were singing about just a moment ago. And so we can't live in denial. I heard about a conference for people living in denial, but it was canceled because nobody would register for it. And so we've got a world that's living in denial. They don't want to admit that we have a heart problem. We need to come to that place where we do like David did in Psalm 51. If you want to turn to that passage, we'll just let it kind of speak for itself. But after his sin, with Bathsheba. And remember, this is a man who was after God's own heart. This was a man whose motives seemed to always be pure. And you can't find a king and a hero like David, the one who killed the lion and the bear and the giant and did great things for God. Then after his sin with Bathsheba, he says, be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. 
for I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me against you. You alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight so that you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Not only did life begin at conception, but the fact that you are a sinner is confirmed at the moment of conception. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. That's what the world needs. So many people are seeing therapists and psychologists and all kinds of people under the sun to try to help them with their guilt. And what we need is the blood of Jesus to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so he says, God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and give me a willing Spirit. What David was saying is the, the heart of my problem, Lord, is the problem of my heart. So God, give me a clean heart. Give me a new heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and empower me to live the life that you've called me to live. And until we allow God to come in and transform our hearts and change us from the inside out, we're living in denial of our great need. And folks, you can't just say, I'm going to turn over a new leaf and everything will be okay. You've got to just come to Jesus and say, God, I need a heart transplant. I've got a bad heart, I need a good heart, I need a clean heart. And when we understand that, then we can bring gospel impact to chapter 12 in Ecclesiastes and understand that even in our youth and in our aging, and we've got a lot of people here who are young, and we've got a few of us who aren't so young anymore. I'm putting myself in that category. I did the funeral yesterday of a lady who was 79 years old, and I thought, man, that is so young. I used to not say that. And now I believe it's getting younger every day. So the problem of the human heart is a discovery. We need to see our need for a new heart. Secondly, this morning, the second discovery, I want you to see that Solomon gives a plea for the next generation. I believe it is a plea to the next generation and a plea for the next generation. So Listen to me, this morning, if you're young, if you're college age or younger, how many of you are college age or younger? Just raise your hand. All right, we've got a number of college students and some high school students and middle school students here this morning. This is a plea for you, first and foremost, but for those of us who are not as young anymore, it's a plea for us to send a plea to our children and to our grandchildren to walk with God from a young age. And so in 12.1, he says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. And get your heart in tune with God while you're young. Before the days of adversity come and the years approach when you will say, I have no delight in them. So to the young people, he's saying, don't put off discovering what it means to walk with God. The one who created you to walk with him, you say, but Pastor Robbie, you said that I'm sin-fallen and I'm kind of broken. And that's why we come to Jesus at an early age to avoid a life full of heartache and heartbreak so we can come and experience new life in him. Learn to walk with him while you're young, he says. Be like that Daniel who as a teenager stood for righteousness 
in a kingdom where it was not popular. And today, I know that if you're a teenager, if you're a college student and you stand for truth and you stand for righteousness, you're going to be ridiculed. Sometimes you're going to face consequences. You're not going to be persecuted like they are in some places around the world today where they're losing their lives for their faith. At least there's in all likelihood that's not what's going to happen to you. But sometimes, and I know especially how we are in our human nature, we had almost rather lose our life than to have somebody make fun of us. Sometimes we think dying is better than being ridiculed. And certainly you'll be ridiculed for your faith. Daniel stood in the face of great persecution. David himself, Solomon's father, had the courage to face the giant as a teenager after he had been doing what he was supposed to be doing where he was supposed to be doing it. Later in his older age, he made a mistake by not being where he was supposed to be, which led him into sin. Think of Esther. It was a young lady said, I've come into the kingdom for such a time as this. And she literally stuck out her neck for the people. Have that kind of courage, young people. Because verse 2 says, The glory days only last so long before the sun and the light are darkened and the moon and the stars and the clouds return after the rain. He says, there's a time in life where you just seem to be shining with energy and with passion. And so let that light Shine, stand for him now. Don't put it off. Delay can lead to a hard heart. Delay can lead to a cold spirit. See, a lot of young people say, you know, when I get older, Pastor Robbie, after I've had my fun, when I get older, then I will get right with Jesus. I'll become a religious person. Listen, the last thing I want some of the young people in this church to do is become old religious people. The world doesn't need more religious people. We need your youthful energy with a passion for Christ being an example for us of what it means to put a relationship before religion and to love Jesus Christ with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. These are your glory days. Then use them to bring glory to God. Channel that energy toward him. Don't live with regrets. Don't find yourself with so many hurts, habits, and hang-ups that you can't get free to serve the Lord when you are older. But go ahead and come clean before him now and watch what God will do in your life now. Don't put it off. We, we love procrastination. And look, I, I stand before college students on a regular basis and I see many of them doing what I do and that's putting things off to the last minute. I was guilty of the same thing in college. There's kind of three levels to that that, that procrastination. There are those who, who literally are thinking, why well, put off till tomorrow what I can put off till next week? Because it doesn't seem urgent. Oh, if we could have the sense of urgency for the things that are important in life. And, and the second level is the, sometimes it's the student who maybe I set deadlines or win papers and things like that or do. And uh, I'm like, don't procrastinate, don't wait till the last minute. And, and this look comes over their face, and I was guilty of the same thing. Oh, you don't know my powers. I can wait until 10 o'clock the night before the papers do, and I can pull this off. And, and by the way, they're not using a typewriter with correction tape like we were using, right? And so, uh, boy, we really had a hard time with that one. 
And, and you know what? Some of them actually do pull it off and do some good work last minute. And so we get in habits of putting off the most important things in life because we don't sense that they're urgent. And, and then there's the one who reasons well, I want to be older and wiser when I do this work. So the longer I wait to do it, the older I will be and the wiser I will be, right? And so we come up with excuses to put things off. As a church, we want to put out a plea to the next generation. You walk with God now. You lead the way now. You will not hear me as a pastor stand before this church and say, we need to care about the young people because they're the church of tomorrow. We need to care about the young people, church, because they're the church of today. And if we give them the opportunity, they'll blow our minds of what they do for the glory of God today. That's why we focus on the seven summits. Just as a quick refresher this morning, the Provision Summit says we're going to provide the environment in our church and in our homes where kids can know that God is love, that Jesus loves them, and that his word is true. The Presentation Summit, when they come to that age of understanding and accountability where they can know remorse and understand the gospel, we want to present the gospel as clearly as we possibly can at all times. Then there's the Preparation Summit. Life is tough, and we need to prepare them for what they're going to face in life. And I see two extremes happening in our church and in our community and around our world today when it comes to the Preparation Summit. One extreme is we're just not preparing, we're not equipping them to face what they're going to face in life. The other is extreme is we want to prepare and equip them, so instead we isolate them and we don't let them get in any situation where their faith might be challenged, where their feelings might be hurt, and we do what we can to overprotect them and we're not doing them any favors in a cold, hard world where they need to be given the tools, they need to be equipped, they need to be insulated and not isolated and be told that with Jesus Christ they can make a difference in their world. The Purity Summit, it's where we give them a heart for God and a heart for holiness, especially in those junior high years where their purity starts to be under attack like never before. The Purpose Summit, those ninth and 10th graders who are saying, why am I here? What's my purpose in life? The Passion Summit, learning your gifts, your calling, how God has hardwired you to find most fulfillment in this life, making a difference in this world. And then the pursuit, we want to launch them out as young adults to press on and make a difference in this world. So here's the plea. If you're a young person this morning, and by young person, I'm talking about college age, teenagers. Maybe maybe some of you are still in your 20s, but, but don't put it off. Let God use you. Let God transform you from the inside out and say, Lord, I want to make a difference in my world. I don't want to be critical and complaining about what's going on in the world. I I want to, rather than curse the darkness, I want to shine a light for Jesus Christ in this world. Make a decision to do that today. And for those of us who are older, we've got to continue to prioritize discipling and mentoring and reaching the next generation. Everything I read used to tell us, when I was in student ministry, just in the 1990s, not that long ago, but when I was in full-time student ministry, they would tell us if those kids don't come to faith in Jesus Christ by age 18, there is a very, very, very small percentage that they will ever come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now they're telling us it's age 12. 
if we don't reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ, if they don't clearly understand it and put their faith the best way they know how in Jesus Christ by age 12, all the research is telling us it is highly unlikely that they will ever come to faith in Christ. Now, there are many, and I thank God we see it in the church, where those who are adults, even older adults, have come to faith in Jesus Christ. This past fall, we had the miracle of baptizing one of those gentlemen, and I was so excited about that. Later in life, professing that faith, but we've got to convince the next generation. We've got to do all that we can to equip them that they can know, love, and serve Jesus now, not to put it off, not to wait until it's too difficult. Because here's what's going to happen next. And now if we can kind of turn our attention to those who I would say are my age and older, right? Solomon begins to write about the peril of the aging process. I almost put the problem of getting old right here, right? He's basically arguing, you know what's going to happen? We're going to get old and we're going to die. That's what's going to happen. That's just the cold, hard facts of life. One out of every one still die. Everyone in the Hebrews Hall of Faith, except for two, you do have the mention of Enoch, who walked with God and he was no more because the Lord took him. And then you have a reference to the prophets and one of the actions of Elijah. So, so without perhaps that reference to Elijah and certainly the mention of Enoch, everybody else we read about in that Hebrews 11 Hall of Faith, with all the faith that they modeled for us, they still got old and died. And we can try to dress it up. We can do all we can cosmetically. We can do everything we can with diet and exercise. But we don't change the fact that everyone going back to Adam and Eve after the curse, Abraham and all the great heroes of the faith, aged and died. Look what he says here in these verses, Ecclesiastes 12, 3. He says, on the day the guardians of the house tremble and the strong men stoop. The guardians of the house was reference to the hands and the arms. The hands begin to shake, and the arms begin to tremble. The strong men refers to the legs. You begin to get weak in the knees. Amen. The women who grind, what are the grinders? They cease because they are few. The grinders are the teeth. <laughs> he said, your, your teeth start to fall out. I'm thankful for dentists and hygienists and others who help us out with that a little while. The ones who watch through windows see dimly. You don't see, folks, I'm starting to, you know, have to wear these every Sunday now. The other problem is I'm forgetting them half the time. And some of you say, Pastor, welcome to old age. And the doors at the street are shut. Your lips won't open. While the sound at the mill fades, you're not hearing good when one rises at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song grow faint. Also, they are, and by the way, speaking of a little bit of insomnia here, you're not sleeping at night. They're afraid of heights on the dangers of roads. By the way, let me say this about the whole insomnia, not sleeping at night thing. There's two groups of people that intrigue me when it comes to 
people who are posting. You ever notice on Facebook, for those of you who are older, it tells you what time you posted something? And you would think that, well, it's teenagers staying up all night. But those 2 a.m. posts and those 4 a.m. posts and those posts that are saying, anybody else awake but me, I've gone back and looked, and that's senior adults. It's not teenagers. And so I was saying, it's getting to where it's hard to sleep at night. But I don't know why that after lunch, we can sleep like babies. Aging. They're afraid of heights and dangers on the road. The almond tree blossoms. Grasshopper loses its spring. The caperberry has no effect, for man is headed to his eternal home, and mourners will walk about in the street. In other words, we know that our funeral is a day closer than it was yesterday, and it's not fun to talk about unless we understand the gospel impact on all of this. The silver cord is snapped. The silver cord, some believe, is referring to your spinal cord. You begin to be bent over later in life. The golden bowl, perhaps the head, speaking of the brain there, and the jar is shattered at the spring. This jar may be the heart, where the water, which is responsible for the circulatory system. And the wheel is broken into the well. So our whole circulatory system isn't working like it once worked. The heart's not working and pumping like it once pumped. And dust returns to the earth as it once was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. And I'm glad for those who are born again, Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But apart from the gospel, the conclusion in verse 8 is absolute futility, says the teacher. Everything is futile. And so while we've got to have a passion to reach the next generation, one thing that I'm learning with years is we've got to have sympathy to help share gospel impact for those who are aging, and there are more and more of us, right? We've got to care what people are going through. Here, here's what one author said will help you know if you're getting old. If your social security number is three digits, you're probably getting old. If it takes you a couple of tries, I got behind this guy before, if it takes you a couple of tries to get over a speed bump, you're getting old. Some of you are married to this person, right? If the prime topic at the parties you attend is regularity, you're getting old. If you've lost the hair on your head, men, but you found it in your ears and your nose, you're getting old. If, when you bend over, this, was, this one's from Bob Hope here, if you bend over to tie your shoes and then ask, is there anything else I can do while I'm down here? It's a good sign that you're getting old. If your rocking chair provides the same sensation and thrills that a roller coaster used to provide, you might be getting old. I love this one. If, if you go to the doctor knowing that you need an x-ray, and instead of giving an x-ray, he just picks you up and holds you up to the light, you might be getting old. If you try to smooth out the wrinkles on your hose around your ankles and you realize you're not wearing any hose, you might be getting old. And church, the older I get, the more I start to sympathize with this, but there is... Uh, 
there, there's a video, there's a, it's actually a, a children's movie you might consider it, if there's anything that's ever really taught me to appreciate what might be going through the life of an older person, to, to be a little bit more patient with that person who's driving very slow down the highway, right? Some of you have already done that. You're like, I, I caught myself leaving my signal on for three miles before I realized it. And I was driving slow down the highway. Something that's caused me to be more loving and more patient came from a clip in a children's movie. And so as we close, I want to show that clip. Do we have that ready? We're going to show this clip from the movie Up. And if anything caused me to sympathize with aging, it was this clip. Kind of nails it, doesn't it? I can imagine a lot of thoughts went through a lot of minds as you were watching that. What gospel impact is there to help us with all of this frustration, all of these dilemmas, to bring meaning and purpose to the years that we have here? Even for those of us who might be sensing that aging process a little bit, the gospel brings these words from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. Chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. It says, Therefore... We do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. That means in our older age, we can be more vibrant, more passionate on the inside than at any other time in our life. For our momentary light affliction, so these problems that we're having are momentary. This is a momentary life. But he says they're producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So now for our older years, those get to be the glory days again for us. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. So that whether you're young or whether you're old, we can all live our lives with the passion and power of God who is greater in us than he that is in the world. We can have an impact on this world as a young person. We can have an impact on this world like never before as an older person because now God has blessed us with wisdom of years of walking with him, uh, of an understanding of how life works. And sometimes we've learned things like Solomon did. Sometimes we learn things the hard way. And so we don't check out on God. We don't check out on the church. We say, God, make these years, listen, It's not the spring of life that's fruitful. It's the fall years, right, into the winter. That's when the harvest is great, when you're about to enter into those winter months. So for many of us, we feel like we're older, but these are the harvest years for many of you. So let God do a great work. Understand, the gospel and redemption makes all the difference to the cynicism and sarcasm that Solomon was experiencing because he was saying, this is life without God, but if you give it all to him, and receive all that he has for you. You'll make a, and it'll make an eternal difference in this life for you, and you will make a difference in eternity. And how you spend that eternity based on those decisions, those momentous decisions, this momentary life. Would you bow your heads with me?